it feels like a double honor for me to be able to be here this morning. I mean, to be able to speak to you in this way is an honor, but also to be able to talk about worship in this way feels like its own honor to me. Um, especially, like, man, to preach about worship right after you encounter the presence of God in worship is, like, it's like hunting at the zoo. Like, that's easy. Like, to try to convince somebody that God's presence is real, like, I can't do that. But after we encounter his presence like this, to provide theology to that, like, that's something I can do. That's something I can handle and something I'm excited to do this morning. Um, yeah, worship has been so instrumental in my life. Um, if I look back and think of some of the most, like, important moments in my life where, like, my relationship with God has been shaped and molded, somewhere in that story, the manifest presence of God and worship is there. Um, I can still think back to the first time that I really, like, encountered his manifest presence in worship. I wasn't expecting it. It's something I knew about. But man, it just it instantly took me from there's these ideas about God that I know and, and even believe to be true to like, he is real. He's the real thing. Um, and I think that moment marked me like from the rest of my life, like I will pursue the manifest presence of God. And even in leading worship, it's just what I want for everyone. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for us as a movement. And I know that's not just true of me. I mean, ever since I've gotten here, I've heard it countless times. People say, if you dig an inch deep in this movement, you see that it's a prayer and worship movement. Everything that we have seen God do, every ounce of the kingdom that we have seen manifested on earth, every life that we have witnessed one for Christ, it comes from a place of prayer and worship. It is his presence. It starts and it ends with his presence. I know I'm preaching to the choir with that, but it is everything. It is everything. Well, so this week is part two of a three-week mini-series on worship, and if you did not get a chance to listen to Kiara's message last week, I really encourage you to go back and do that. It was very good. She laid some really firm foundation for us on what worship is, um, particularly in that, like, worship isn't something that we first do. God pursued us first. God reached down to us first. Worship is simply our response to Him, um, and so she provided some really good groundwork to build on this morning. Honestly, my hope this morning, I'm going to share some things about worship, about what happens when his presence is manifested among us. Um, my hope is not to teach you how to worship better. My, my hope is not to tell you what's right and wrong in worship. My one hope for this morning is that through the things that I share, um, that God would light an even brighter fire in me and in you for his presence, that we would just burn, burn for his presence that we would long for his presence with everything that's within us. That's my hope for this morning. Um, so a couple of things I just want to lay out before I get into um, the meat of the message. Um, there's some things that I just think will be important for us to be aware of as we dig into this. Um, the first is that worship is its communion. Um, and so in preparation for this, I was just kind of um, thinking through like the history of worship, you know, even from the old covenant and the law and the Jesus coming and then like what we live in now and what we call the last days leading up to his return. Um, and man, it just led me to the place of being so thankful for Jesus um, because we know before Jesus came, sin separated us from God. There was a gap. There was a divide. And 
through that, God provided the law. And in the law, we had opportunity to maintain some relationship with him through burnt offering and through sacrifice. And so God's presence would dwell in early on the tabernacle and then later on in a temple. Um, And that's where God's presence would remain. It wasn't the thing that was making God's presence holy. God's presence dwelling in those things made it holy. Anything that God's presence dwells in becomes holy. And so in those times and through the law, you would come to the temple, and that's where God's presence resided. That's where you would offer your burnt offering and your sacrifice. Um, And then we know that Jesus came, and he became the one-time, once-and-for-all substitutionary sacrifice for all of us. When he died on that cross and he took our sin, he became the atonement. He became the slain lamb. And when he rose again and went out seated at the right hand of the Father in all power and glory, um, he brought a better word. He established a better word for us. And here's the crazy thing. When he did that and we received the Holy Spirit like we do now, we have become the temple. It's wild. It's the, it's the greatest of mysteries in heaven. <laughs> but we are the temple. You and I carry the Holy Spirit. We carry the manifest presence of God. He has made us holy. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more later, but it's so important to know that you are considered holy in the eyes of God, that if you repent of sin and you receive his salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are holy in the eyes of God. And it's the foundation for worship because otherwise you worship by striving. You worship by offering the sacrifice. If I offer enough, God will accept me. But that's not it. We worship from rest because we have been accepted, we have been loved, we have been justified in the eyes of the Father. And if I'm going to talk about anything in worship, that has to be the foundation. That is the foundation. That is the firm rock that we stand on. We are a temple. And worship is now about communion. It's an intimate exchange between us and the Father. And there's always more. There's always more intimacy. Um. The second thing I think is important for us to just have established before we move forward is I'm going to talk about worship this morning, and I think a lot of it is going to seem obvious that it ties into, like, the manner in which we gather. We gather, we worship through music, we worship through prayer, we worship through baptism, we worship by hearing the word. That's what we do regularly, and that's good, and God blesses it, we love it, we want to continue that. Um, I just want to say that it's not just bound to that. The things that I'm talking about today, God's manifest presence, isn't only for this place for Sunday mornings or if you worship anywhere else in the network, it's not just for that. Like, there is a diversity to God's manifest presence, and we encounter his presence differently. So it might seem like I'm speaking to this, you know, some, especially like in worship, like when we encounter him in, in our context of corporate worship, and I am, but I'm also speaking to any other way that you experience the manifest presence of God. Um, like Jesus came and he, and he spoke to the woman at the well and he said, um, a time is now coming when we all will worship in spirit and truth. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't where worship happens. This, this building or anywhere else that you worship in the network is not where worship happens. We worship in spirit and we worship in truth. So anywhere you encounter his presence, I hope that this applies to that as well. Um, it would be foolish to put worship or put the manifest presence of God into a box to say this is the only way it happens. That would be foolish. Um, so, and then lastly, this isn't an exhaustive list. What I want to talk about, um, really just the ways, like, 
that we experience God's presence, what happens when we experience His presence, it's not an exhaustive list. These are just some things that I feel like are applicable to us in our context in this moment in time, according to what I felt the Lord like leading me to share. But this is in no way, shape, or form an exhaustive list. If you attempted to talk about all the things that happen when God manifests His presence, I don't know if you would ever even scratch the surface of that. Um, so these are just some things. Um, yeah, so all that said, um, I just want to talk about um, when we encounter the presence of God in worship, here's some things that happen. And the first, if you put it on the screen, yep, right there, we are aligned with the Father's heart. We become like that which we worship. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we with unveiled faces, actually, I think I put it up there, yep, Um, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. The more we behold the Father, the more we look upon Him in worship, the more we are in His presence, the more we become like Him. Um, You know, this is like a pretty, like, simple concept to to grasp onto, I think, because it's true in, in the rest of society and the rest of culture as well. Like, that which you worship, you become like. Um, I thought of yesterday when I was, like, writing some of this out. I thought of, well, if I like to play basketball. A lot of people are better at basketball than I am, but I like to play it. And um, I was thinking, okay, so say I really liked Kobe Bryant's game, and I wanted to emulate him. I wanted to be like Kobe. Now, there... (laughs) There's some very obvious physical limitations in my ability to embody Kobe Bryant's game. Lots of them. But say he has a very specific crossover, you know, step back shot that I just love and I got to have it in my bag. Well, if I work on that, if I watch him do it over and over and over again and I emulate it and I practice it, I worship in a sense that move. I could get it down, like, to a certain degree. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm fixated on that. I'm fixated on it, and I'm going to become more like it. And you can apply that to any, any facet of life, but it is so true in the presence of God. The more that we behold him, the more we become like him. Um, even a physical example of this uh, happened in the Old Testament. Um, so Moses, um, it's someone that the Bible describes as like close, like a friend to God. Like he was, he had, he had a relationship with God, like friend to friend, peer to peer. And, um, and at one point Moses like wants more and he just says, show me your glory. And so God responds by allowing him to see him pass by. He can't look on his face or he wouldn't be able to live. But as God passes by, Moses is able to gaze on God. And for like weeks after that, Moses comes back down off the mountain glowing physically glowing, physically manifesting the glow of God's presence, the point where he had to wear a veil when he was in the camp because people couldn't look at him. So, like, even one look at God, his real, like, being, like, Moses glowed. And so the more that we are in God's presence, the more that we worship him and experience him, the more we become like him. Um, This is so important um, because, like, we leak, (laughs) You know, the Bible says to be being filled with the Holy Spirit because it's not a once and for all time thing. We leak, we leak, and we need refilled. We need refilled, we need refilled. But he's given us the place to come. He's given us the place to come. The hungry will always be filled with good things. Um, 
And so when we fall out of alignment, which we all do, his presence brings us back. The more we stay in his presence, the more in alignment with the Father's heart we are. Um, yeah. Secondly, um, when we encounter his presence in worship, we discover and we remember who we really are. Um, worship keeps us close to our true identity. Um, this is so foundational, so foundational for us as believers. It's so foundational for us if we're going to really understand his manifest presence. Um, Ephesians 1.5, I think I have that up there as well. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And then this is it here. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This is who we are. We are no longer orphans. We are sons. We are daughters of the living God, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, deeply loved, deeply liked, I love the end of that. It's what he wanted to do, and it gave him pleasure. He didn't begrudgingly save us because he had to, or he felt guilty like he needed to save his own creation, anything like that. He wanted you. He wanted you, and he had to have you. And you are now, if you live the life of Jesus Christ, if you receive the Holy Spirit, then you are a daughter, and you are a son of the living God. Um, you know... <laughs> For me personally, like over the last year and a half, one of the most consistent themes that keeps coming back um, to me and I keep like, gaining more perspective on um, is the role of shame and how worship conquers shame. And I've kind of gotten this picture in my head um, of what shame does to us. Like if we feel like we are less than or we believe the lies that the enemy says about me, that I am not good enough, that I am... I'm forever sinful. I am never, you know, worth, I was not worth what Jesus says I was worth. Um, this is what shame does. It kind of just, you look down. Like, if you've ever experienced deep shame, it's, it can be hard to even just, like, look people in the eyes. It's hard to keep your head high because you, your body language reflects what you believe inside, right? And so shame has me looking down. And this is what I've seen God's presence doing so much over the last year and a half. It's like his presence lifts lifts the head to be able to meet his gaze. But here's the crazy thing, is that I think shame convinces us that he's not looking. Or he looks sometimes, but when we do that thing, or we have that kind of bad day, or we just like look like this, um, that he looks away. Like, he can't look at that because it's not worthy. But like, the reality is that Jesus has never stopped looking at you, not even for, for a minute. The love of the Father is a consistent gaze, and as our head is lifted in his presence, we meet his gaze, and we see that it's been there all along, and that, that conquers shame. That is way more powerful than shame, and so I've just become more convinced than ever that it is his presence in worship that conquers shame. Um, you know, I believe his presence can do more in one moment that mere words might not be able to do in decades. And other times, maybe it doesn't happen like this in a moment, but it's the consistent soaking in his presence where shame just loses its power and it just falls away. But no matter what, his presence conquers shame. And it reminds us of who we are. 
It tells us that we are a deeply loved daughter, a deeply loved son. And the more that we are in his presence, the more that we remember that. Um, I think without his presence, we can easily begin to live and think like orphans again. It happens so quickly, especially when it's home base for us before Jesus. But his presence keeps us coming back and remembering that that's no longer who we are, um, that we are sons and we are daughters. Um, Third, we are activated in our God-given authority for the mission. A person who worships from a place of true identity lives in the places of greater authority. So this one is, it's pretty much just an extension off the last one because I really believe that the two are so closely tied together. You don't live from real authority if you don't live from right identity. Um, And so as we experience true identity in his worship, we are released into places of greater authority. Um, Yeah, so just some theology in this. Like, we have been mandated by Jesus to carry the authority that he established in his time on earth. He said, like, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. I think I have those verses up there. Yeah. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We don't go on our own authority. We go in all the authority of heaven. (laughs) Um, Matthew 18, truly I tell you what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This could easily be its own sermon series on its own. But the basic crux of this is that we don't walk in our own authority. We have been given the authority of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is what we walk in. That is why I can confidently say that I carry authority. It's not because of anything I can do, not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit, like John said earlier this morning in worship. Um, But by thy spirit, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Um, And, you know, I think it's so good to say that, like, worship keeps us close to our true identity, because it really is a twofold thing. You know, there's this idea that he's breaking us out of shame and we are stepping into our rightful, uh, you know, our place as sons and daughters. But also, um, worshiping keeps us into our right identity because it doesn't allow me to take a step forward in my own strength, right? Like the grace of God, we talk about the grace of God brings low the mountain and it raises the valley. No matter what place we're in, his presence, worship is what brings us into right identity. And it's from that place it's from that place of going low that we're able to receive more of the kingdom. Um, so I do want to talk just a little bit about the role of faith in this. I mean, <laughs> there is a wide, wide variety of theologies on the role of faith in the miraculous and in God's kingdom. Um, but I do just want to simply offer it out this morning that it is his spirit, it is his power alone that does anything supernatural, and we believe that. Um, and there is somewhere in that that he calls our faith to partner with that. Our faith doesn't heal. Our, our faith doesn't do anything on its own. Um, but our faith does partner with the work of the spirit to receive the kingdom. And I've just come to find that worship, more than anything else, in my life at least, builds faith. Um, so really... Uh, um, practical example of this. Um, about a couple of years ago, um, before coming here, um, Caroline and I were just like really wrestling with some things in the kingdom. Like it, it, God was starting to show us that there was a lot of dissonance between what we currently believed um, and like what was possible in this kingdom. 
And part of that, he was just calling us to risk, like start to take risk and pray bolder, start to take risk and like um, seek more of his kingdom and his righteousness. And, and so very specifically in that was just a challenge to like start to pray for miracles because it just wasn't really a part of our experience before that very much. Um, you know, and very specifically, one thing that he was speaking to me was like starting to try to shift from praying for miracles in a place where like deep, deep down, I just knew like ain't going to happen. You know, like I'm going to say the right words. Anything could happen, but I don't think anything's going to happen. Um, to really start to like, what does it mean to pray in a place of faith where like I really believe that this could happen in this moment? And then maybe even starting to expect it to happen in this moment. And so we were just in the middle of this asking questions, wondering, not sure. I mean, it's, it's a mysterious thing. And um, we were on the way home from, um, from my parents' um, house, and it, we lived about an hour and a half away. And on the way home, Caroline's ear just started hurting so bad, like kind of like almost like an ear infection kind of thing. Like she was just like holding it like this, you know. So inside, I'm like, oh, this is a good moment to try to pray for healing, but like it's awkward. What if it doesn't happen? And, but we both decided when we got home, we were going to pray for it, and we did. We got on the couch, started praying for over her ear, a um, couple of minutes, nothing happened, and then I just kind of like got honest with myself, and I asked Carolyn the same question. I was like, did you really pray like believing anything could happen? And we're both honestly like, no, we weren't. And so I just felt like it had to be worship in that moment for us. So I got my keyboard out, and we spent, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes just worshiping God together in the living room. And man, I could feel my faith rising. As I was declaring the promises of God and the goodness of God, I felt my faith rising. Like, he is that good that this could happen. And, and Caroline felt the same way. And we came back and we prayed after that. And that earache disappeared, like just completely disappeared. And there is no formula to this. It doesn't happen the same way every time. But that instilled a principle in me for the rest of my life, that worship does build faith and faith does partner with God to receive his kingdom. Um, and so, look, if you feel like faith, you lack faith, all I would ever tell you or lead you to is his manifest presence. Soak in his presence. He's the one who's going to build it in you. Um, but his presence builds faith, and our faith partners with the work of God. Um, yeah, just worship is our access to the promise on earth as in heaven, like Jesus prayed. Um, through Christ, we worship under an open heaven, and our faith partners with the work of the Spirit to receive more. And look, we live on mission, and you know we need more for the mission. We need more of his presence. We need more of his power for the mission. It's not enough to just go in our own strength. It doesn't last. It doesn't build a kingdom that lasts. We need his power. We need his authority for the mission. And the more you're on mission, the more you'll become desperate for his presence, the more you'll become desperate for his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as in heaven. So we need this. We need it, not just for ourselves, but for everyone out there, everyone else. Oh, I love this one. Okay. In worship, we get in touch with the undignified gospel. So undignified worship embraces the heart of the gospel and going low. Um, I love this one. I just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, because I need it. <laughs> um, without the indignity of the presence of God in worship, um, pride just so quickly and so easily begins to swell. Um, where do I want to start with this? 
So I think it's worth just clarifying. When I say the undignified gospel, I don't mean that God is, uh, lacks dignity. I don't mean that the gospel, you know, is, is, like doesn't, isn't worthy of respect and honor. I mean, God is above all worthy of respect and honor. But what I mean is when Jesus came and he established the better word, he didn't do it by coming in this place of authority over people and lording it over people. He came meek. He came weak. He came like a lamb. And he established a better word. And so if we receive the kingdom, we don't receive it up here. We receive it low. We receive it low. And worship, and specifically undignified worship, brings us low like nothing else does. Because, like, you would think of being brought low like a condemning finger. Like, you need to, you know... (laughs) Get yourself in order. Like this, you're, you're prideful. You're this. You're that. You're that. And just break you down so you go low. But that's not how God does it. It's like His goodness, His kindness leads us to repentance. His goodness leads us to this place of just like I don't care what I look like. I don't care what this looks like. I just want more of Your presence. That is what He leads us low with, and that's where we receive more of the kingdom. I have two examples that I really want to contrast for us this morning um, from Scripture in this um, idea of undignified worship. The first is um, David. Um, if you know anything about David in the Scriptures, it says he was a man after God's own heart. Um, wild story. Really encourage you to read the story of David if you never have, First and Second Samuel. Um, wild story. But that man was consistently after the God's heart. He was consistently after God's heart. And, uh, and there was a time um, where the Israelites um, were coming back into the city and they were carrying with them the Ark of the Covenant, which at that time, that was where God's presence was manifest. He was making that Ark of the Covenant holy with his presence. And there was such a jubilant celebration that the Ark was coming back into the city. And David was right there with the group. And he just like the spirit fell on him and he just lost it. He just it says he danced with all his might. Get this to the point where he exposed himself indecently in front of people. Uh, you know, they didn't wear clothes like this. They had them robes on, and that can, get, that can get weird. But he danced that hard, that hard is how he, like, expressed himself in worship to God. He just couldn't do anything else. And, um, and afterwards, he goes home, and his wife scorns him. She shames him for it because she says, how dare you? And decently expose yourself in front of all these women. How dare you make us, you look like a fool. You look like a fool out there today, is what she said. And then David looked back at her and he said, I'll become even more undignified than that. See, David got it. He understood that this is how you receive more of God. And he was willing to pay any price. He was willing to look like any fool to do it. So here's the second example, um, and I think this one is really important for us because it contrasts the action of David's undignified worship. See, undignified worship isn't in any one act. I can tell you that dancing like a fool does make you undignified to the world because, right, like the, the foolish things of the world are wisdom in the kingdom, right? Um, but it isn't in the dancing. It isn't in shouting. It isn't in anything um, specific it's the heart of going low. Um, and so the second example, um, we see Mary anoints Jesus' feet. So I have this one up. Yeah, I want to read this one. <laughs> the font's a little small, so I'll read it uh, for everyone. But um, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to, oh, there's something missing there, but Jesus said, I have something to say to you. And he said, tell me, teacher, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. See, in this case, there was no need for dancing. Mary took this weak position of kneeling at Jesus' feet, crying, wiping his feet with her tears, and pouring out expensive perfume, which would have seemed like utter foolishness to those who valued money, who valued wealth, who valued power. It made no sense. But Mary, just as much as David, understood that this is how you receive more of Jesus. It's so beautiful. Um, and look, I'm thankful that it's not in one act that we receive this heart of undignified worship, because if you do that one act enough, it doesn't really feel that undignified anymore. Like if we just like one Sunday in worship, the spirit of God came down and someone prophetically just released the word that we need to start worshiping by hopping on one foot. This would look stupid, right? Imagine the whole room bumping into each other and falling over chairs and getting winded, right? But say we, and his spirit pours out, and it's great, and we're encountering him, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful, we look foolish. But say we do that same thing for every week for the rest of, you know, the next two years, and he continues to pour out his spirit, we continue to experience goodness, so we keep doing it. Yeah, it'll always be a little weird to hop on your foot, but eventually we'll come into church, and it's not really undignified before, anymore, you know what I mean? It's almost undignified not to do it, like, because that becomes, like, the norm, that becomes the expectation, that becomes the holiness, Right? So I'm so thankful that it's not in any one act. Um, Specifically for me, some ways that, like, I have really, like, experienced going low through worship has been in dancing, um, has been in shouting, because those things aren't really a part of, like, my, you know, my my upbringing. Um, So doing those things in worship have, like, brought me low. Um, But it's not in those things. Whatever way you can experience, like, indignity in worship, pursue it. If you feel like you know how you experience God's presence, how you like to worship, but it's home base, it's good. Bless it. Do it. But find ways. My encouragement is to find ways um, to, like, undignify yourself in worship. We will go low. We will receive more of Jesus. I remember um, one time um, my car broke down, and I had to wait, like, an hour and a half for AAA to come. And I was just like, I was like, oh, it didn't break down. I slid off the road a little bit because it was very icy um, on this road. And so I was just by myself. And I felt like God was just telling me to put on worship music. 
And so I did that, and I started to worship, and then I really felt like this thing rising up in me that I just need to begin to shout with all my might and declare things like, you know how weird that is to hear yourself do that by yourself? It's weird. I felt so foolish hearing my own voice just like shouting with like indignity. But man, like there was, there was grace in that moment for me to do it. And <laughs> it brought me to such a like, honestly, a breakthrough in my life. Um, of like being scared of hearing my own voice say things or like or like stepping out and saying things, man, it broke something, but it wasn't in the might of my voice. It was in the indignity of like the foolishness of that moment. Um, so look, it doesn't look any one way, but pursue it however you can. Um, yeah. And then my last point um, is that we get to create with Jesus. We can skip that one. Kiara spoke to that last week about how his worship, uh, the manifest presence of worship, of God in worship, unites us as the bride of Christ, and she did such a good job in that. Um, but I'm going to move forward here. Um, we get to create with Jesus. We get to partner with Jesus to create and release our own song. So I want to get into some stuff with this one um, because I feel like this one can often not make a lot of sense. Um, and that's totally great. Like, that's how I was at one point in my life, too. But um, there's some good things in it. I just want to, like, share some of that and, and walk through some of that with you. Um, so when I talk in this section, I'm going to use some phrases like worshiping on and off the page. And simply what I mean is we worship to the written song, right? We do that every week. We come and we sing the songs like this morning, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear, whom shall I be afraid? We, we worship to the written song, and the, worship's, the written song is so good, it's foundational, it declares truth, we know it so we can partner together in singing it um, and clapping to it and all of that. Um, and then there's just the, the idea of worshiping off the page. It's like um, going off of what's been written just into a space of vulnerability and kind of like spontaneity in our worship. Um, I want to draw a contrast between two concepts. You may have heard these thrown out at different times, um, but I just want to draw a contrast between prophetic and spontaneous worship. Um, and so when I say, like, prophetic worship, what I simply mean is that, like, I'm sensing what the Lord is saying or doing in a, mo- in a moment, and I'm, like, releasing that word. Like, you know, people who walk in the prophetic gifting do this all the time, but it's something that we can do in worship. I sense that, you know, the Lord is is breaking change this morning. I get a picture about that or a word about that. And I start to sing out that his love is breaking chains. That's prophetic worship. I'm receiving what the Lord is doing, and I'm just releasing the word. And as I'm releasing it by faith, you know, people are experiencing the manifestation of that word. Chains are being broken. Um, so that's something we walk in, but that is dependent on the Spirit's lead, you know, a word that he is giving in that moment, something he's doing in that moment. Um, Spontaneous worship is different than that. Spontaneous worship is simply my response to God's call, like Kiara said. It's just going off of the page of what's been written to express my own personal worship to God. Anybody can do this at any time. It's just simply like my heart song to the Lord. Um, It isn't in response to some direct revelation that God is giving me that I must release. It's just my heart song. Um, Personally, just offering this up there, but I do believe that a lot of times worship, our corporate worship experience, our personal worship experience 
is the most powerful when these two things partner together in some way, shape, or form. When the written, pa- when the written song and worship off the page partner together. Um, I believe it can bring us deeper into the Father's love. Um, okay, I want to give some scripture on this so it's not just ideas. Um, but Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Um, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like I just want to like really normalize this idea because it can feel like it's very spiritual. It can feel very vulnerable to like offer up a song or a melody directly from my heart to the Father. But honestly, it's just like, it's, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Like it's, there's no, it doesn't need to sound like this or look like this. Um, it, it can be simple. Um, I think that like everything about the kingdom of God shows me that he embraces simplicity um, he doesn't delight the most in the deepest thing or the most wonderfully masterpieced thing. <laughs> he delights in the simplicity of our heart. And so when our song is simple, when it's, again, when it's it maybe even just sounds foolish, um, man, he delights in that. And so I just want to normalize this for us, that like to sing out from my heart to the Father, there is no... Um, level that it must reach. It's just like the deeper I go in my heart to offer, like that's what he delights in. Um, And then Psalm 40, um, he put a new song in my heart, a song to praise, a song of praise to my God. Just the idea that God puts songs in our heart, like in his presence. Like there are just times for me where I love the written song that we're singing. I mean, I write songs, like I, I really believe in the written song. It's beautiful. Um, But there's just times where it's, like, maybe just not quite personal enough. Like, it gets me to a certain place, but then, like, I've really got this thing inside, and I've just got to release it. Sometimes it's God putting a song in your heart. And, of course, he puts it in there. He wants you to release it. I mean, the idea of singing new songs to the Lord is all throughout the Psalms. He delights in a fresh song. And, you know, this just is so for everybody. It's like anyone who experiences fresh grace, fresh manifestations of his presence, you have a fresh song to release um, it is for everybody. There is, it isn't just for, just to break this down, it's not for anointed, gifted worship leaders. It is for everybody. It's a concept that goes much deeper than that. I don't care what your voice sounds like. It's fine. Like, God created your voice for a reason. Like, just offer your heart to him. Like, he's not listening for anything perfect. Um, yeah. We get to become like, we get to become creators with Jesus, like, through the power of his Holy Spirit and his presence, through the leading of his Spirit. We get to create something new with him. Like, that just really strikes me. Like, it's so beautiful. And honestly, it's, it's much bigger than just worship, and I mean, than just music. I'm just talking about music right now because, again, this is the corporate gathering. But we can do it with our voice. We can do this with our instrument. You can do it with a paintbrush or a pen or any way that you express yourself creatively you can express yourself to God spontaneously like that. Um, yeah, so this is, I mean, just in a moment of vulnerability, like this used to be super weird to me. Um, like it was it was weird. Like when I first started hearing people do this kind of thing, like just singing off the page, I didn't really understand it. 
And there was grace for that. It was fine. But I just reached a point where I did begin to, like, see that there was goodness in it. And I began to take a couple of steps um, of vulnerability just to, like, step into that realm. And I really, like, am never looking back. Like, I love getting to sing my own song to the Lord. And so I'm not framing this as pressure that you must engage this if you want God. Um, You know, there was grace in my life. Um, for a while to just kind of like not know what it was and just kind of leave it where it was, and that was fine. Um, it's simply just an invitation into it. If, if you want to try something new um, or if you feel God tugging on your heart in that way, it's just an invitation into something that I believe to be good. Um, yeah. So this morning, I guess I just want to land with... Um, like we just talked about God's presence and how good it is. And I believe that he is moving and he's speaking things to us about his goodness. And even in this moment, like drawing us deeper, drawing us into more. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to like, or maybe Steve, if you could come up and just like lead us into some of that. Just like responding to what the Lord is doing right now in his presence.